Welcome to the Leadership Trap Podcast, recorded live here in Austin, Texas. In this podcast, we explore the conditions that lead to surviving and thriving in a successful leadership role. We examine the traps that can cause leaders to stumble, bumble, or get ambushed in ways that may or may not be of their own making. I'm Dr. Chris Petrovka, and with David Hewen of Austin WorkNet, we have a conversation with each leader that explores the traps that they have encountered through their leadership journey. Hopefully it brings a new perspective to your role as a leader and helps you navigate your own way through the traps. Thanks for joining us. Let's jump into the trap. Hey, David, I know we haven't spent a lot of time talking about this, but I, it's very important for me. And I think our listeners are going to appreciate the fact that I'm a doctor. Did you know that? Dr. Chris Petrovka and, and a former CEO of a startup in town. That's a, that's a pretty big deal. Listen to you pushing around those <laughs> credentials. I assume you go to every party hoping someone will say, hey, what do you do? Um, you know what? What I would suggest, Chris, you better re-listen to our podcast with Kay Mellish. Uh, today's guest uh, in the leadership trap is uh, an individual who has a rich background, accomplished as a writer, keynote speaker, even voiceover work that she's done. She's really interesting. Um, she grew up in Wisconsin, has made a life out in Denmark has really come to know the Danes and their history, how they do business, what they are like culturally, how they come to work, how they show up at work. So she's written a couple of books, one on helping Danes do business with Americans, and another one, a companion book, on how Americans can do business with the Danes. And this extends to other cultures in a number of ways, especially in Northern Europe. So there is a broader application here. Uh, but uh, Kay is uh, very interesting and reinforces the importance of us not simply thinking that we've got the only approach to how to uh, engage and connect in the workplace uh, from a cultural perspective. I really enjoyed this conversation. Of course, I was being a little tongue in cheek in the beginning, for, so our listeners know that for sure. Um, I really like how we talked about um, this idea of internal competition that happens at companies and how it is different in each culture. And then I have a special appreciation for trust. Um, this is really core to me and really important, especially in companies and with teammates. And we talked about how trust is perceived in different cultures. And I think this particular episode is going to surprise a lot of listeners about that. The other thing that came up in this conversation that hasn't come up with any of our other, any of our other guests is how... Um, systems within companies can foster insecurity with employees. And I don't think we think about that enough and look at those things. So we talk a little bit about that on this episode that's helpful. And then the last, last piece I really enjoyed when I listened to this again was she talked about this idea of the BMW syndrome. And, and I'm going to leave that there yeah. because I think yeah. our listeners are, are going to enjoy that. Yeah, really um, a fascinating, wide-ranging perspective that she brings and kind of humbling for us and how we define our identity personally and professionally uh, and how that translates into uh, other cultures. So Kay Mellish is our guest in the Leadership Trap. Let's jump in. Hi, Kay. Welcome to the Leadership Trap. We're so thrilled to have you on today. Thanks so much for inviting me. And I should note up front as we enter into our conversation with Kay that Kay's an experienced podcaster. So we have to be on our best Game. I was listening to some of your podcasts in preparation for 
uh, our discussion with you today. And, you know, when Chris and I were putting this together a year or two ago, uh, Chris is in the music scene. So Chris is able to put together some pretty cool music. And I thought, all right, we've really got this front end of our showdown pad. But boy, you introduce a, a pounding beat uh, into the front end of your uh, podcast. That I really like it. It energizes uh, your podcast right from the, the get-go. How, how, did you sort of find your way into uh, the type of uh, music or, or uh, percussion that you felt was right for your, uh, your show? That is the Danish national anthem done in a surf punk format. When I first started up the podcast, I went on to Upwork, which is a great place to get very talented freelancers. And I got a whole bunch of different freelancers to try out different versions of the Danish national anthem, which, of course, is in the public domain. And this is the one that I liked best. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. OK, well, that's that's a bit of trivia. The yeah. best thing about this, having the Danish national anthem, is I have a lot of uh, listeners who are internationals in Denmark. And one guy went to a Danish national team football match and he said it was amazing. At the beginning, they started playing the theme to your podcast. You're kidding me. <laughs> it's of the course. only time you ever heard the Danish national anthem. So that's great. <laughs> well, Chris, don't feel inspired to change uh, our music in in that particular direction. I have a hard time seeing uh, the Star Spangled Banner having any sort of uh, intrigue as a, a starting point for our podcast. No, we're definitely not going to get a version of the Texas anthem. Yeah. Oh, nor that. That's true. So, uh, Kay, give us a bit of your backstory. This is a different angle we're taking on the leadership trap today. And and we're so glad you could join us um, several uh, thousand miles away and several hours away as well. We appreciate your flexibility in joining the trap. So give us a bit of your backstory. Well, I moved to Denmark about 20 years ago. Uh, I have a degree in journalism from NYU, and I had been working in the media scene in New York. I worked for CNN, I worked for ABC News, worked for Dow Jones, the Wall Street Journal, uh, loved Manhattan, but I'd been living there for 10 years. I was exhausted. You know, I was one of the people who went to all the clubs and the restaurants and all the museum exhibits. I was very tired, uh, and I needed to slow down. So the first thing I did was travel around the U.S. I did go to Austin back in the day, Seattle, Salt Lake City, Atlanta, uh, all sorts of uh, exciting places that I thought might wanna, I might want to move to. But, but nothing really clicked until I happened to take a vacation in Copenhagen with a friend. And I thought, yeah, I want to live here. So I went back to New York, job hunted online, found a job, moved here, and I've been here ever since. What, what, Boy, what was it that, yeah, well, tell us how you fell in love. Like, what was Yeah. The... Well, I think there were two things. First of all, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin, uh, not very far from Milwaukee. Uh, that is a very Scandinavian part of the U.S. I'd now, wondered if days, that was the case. It is. These days, Scandinavia is a very rich part of the world. But 150 years ago, it was a very poor part of the world. Uh, there was war, there was famine, there was overpopulation. And within about 20 years, about 15% of the population of Denmark emigrated, most of them to the U.S., most of them to the area, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and then the Pacific Northwest, uh, Washington State and Oregon. Um, so you still see a lot of sort of the Danish culture in Wisconsin. Um, the good, you know, a lot of respect for education, uh, peaceful, friendly people, uh, and the bad, 
the Danish drinking culture is in Wisconsin. Wisconsin has more overuse of alcohol than any other state in the union. Mm. So when I came to Copenhagen, maybe I recognized that culture without even realizing that I was recognizing that culture. I, I felt at home. Um, and one of the other things I liked about it is that it is sophisticated without being too intense. You know, Manhattan was, uh, after a little while, becoming a little bit too much for me. Uh, but I didn't really see myself living out in a rural area. So in Copenhagen, you have all the benefits of urban life without that sort of relentless competition that you get in New York City. That had to be scary. And I think at the time when you first got set up, right, and trying to figure things out, because today you're an expert. And at that time, right, you went through that. And that had to be pretty intimidating and pretty scary at first, right? And I'm not sure it was an adventure, but... Still, it was an adventure because the company that brought me over quickly went bankrupt. Oh, and they had brought all my—they <laughs> brought all my furniture. So here I was in this in this country. I don't know anyone. I don't speak the language. I don't have a job, and I've got like tables and chairs and all this stuff. Uh, so I couldn't just turn around and take my suitcase and move back. Um, found another company. They also went bankrupt after a while. I hope it's not my fault. <laughs> There's a bit of a trend here. <laughs> there is a trend. Angel of death. Um, moved on to Denmark's biggest bank. Was unemployed for a year. And that was actually very interesting because um, I went to every museum on its free day. And by the end, I was writing tourist copy. You know, if you're in Copenhagen, you can do this. Um, then moved on to the biggest bank in Denmark, and I almost made them bankrupt. When they came to the finance, <laughs> I just got them so close, I, I didn't get them over the line. So. Uh, well, there's our first leadership trap. Don't go bankrupt. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Then I went on to work for Carlsberg, which is the big beer company here. Oh, yeah. Uh, worked for another bank and then started up on my own. That was about eight years ago. Mm. Yeah, do... Um... Oh, by the way, is speaking of Wisconsin and uh, Denmark, is there a shared cheese culture? That's a very good question. Danes are not very adventurous when it comes to cheese. There is a certain type of cheese, excuse me, there is a certain type of cheese, and I mentioned this in my book, called uh, medium, what would we call it, sweetheart? Medium laurus. So yeah. Like, yeah. Last fact. There's a cheese in Denmark that everybody eats, which is kind of a medium type cheese. They are not very adventurous when it comes to other types of cheese. Mm. And there was a team breakfast in my uh, company, and I would try to bring other types of cheese, and they would just not eat it. They wouldn't. Wow. So they're just so, not very sharp about their cheese. Sorry. I just had to get that off my chest early, and then uh, I promise I'll never do that again. Okay. So not much of a cheese connection. Um well, do Americans sometimes naively think that Denmark is just a smaller version of the U.S. as uh, we sometimes do when we travel? We just think, hey, they speak English, so this is just another version of the U.S. Or, uh, or how do they approach Denmark when they visit? I find that Americans either have a very utopian version of Denmark or this idea that it's a, a socialist failure. And it kind of depends on their own politics. People are to the left, they think, oh, this is the way we should be. You know, it's kumbaya, they all hold hands, they're all equal, it's great. Uh, what they don't realize is that Denmark has some of the toughest immigration restrictions in the world. Even marrying a Dane will not get you the right to live here. We have oh, wow. pretty much no illegal immigration at all. It is rough. And then you have people on the right who say, oh, it's socialist and they have no business or freedom. Uh, actually, it's probably more capitalist in the US. It is very easy to change jobs here, very easy to hire, very easy to fire, almost no litigation. Litigation is rare. 
So I would call it probably more free market than the U.S., but on the other hand, also more restricted in who can come in. Now, that is an interesting distinction. I, I just came into this conversation assuming that there was a soft cushion for employees uh, that would provide them with uh, social protection and legal protection in their relationship to their work and to um, um, the companies that employ them. But I'm hearing you say uh, it's almost, as we use uh, the term here, employment at will, that employees can leave at any point and uh, companies can terminate an employment relationship at any point with some reason attached to it. They can't take advantage of people um, in illegal fashion. But is that what I'm hearing you say? Uh, well, I would say yes and no, because there is the social cushion and we pay dearly for that social cushion. The sales tax is 25%. Uh, the income taxes are not only high, but everyone pays them. In the US, a large part of people, I would say roughly half of Americans don't pay income tax, or at least not federal income tax. Here, even if you work in the McDonald's, you're gonna be paying about 30% of your income in income tax. So the taxes are extremely high, but then you do have that social cushion. And that's one of the reasons that people are so willing to change jobs. They won't stay at a job they don't like because there is that, that soft pillow to fall on. On the other hand, it is at will in the sense that if you're not getting along with your employer, they can very easily say goodbye to you. The standard, I believe, is three months uh, notice. And you, of course, paid for those three months. Okay. But you also don't, in the U.S., there's a lot of worry about, uh, in the U.S., discrimination law is an important thing. I can't fire UK because you're the only woman here and you might sue. They don't really have that in Denmark. Well, Interesting. Completely change the dynamics then, right, of, of that manage, manager and employee relationship. And wow. <laughs> you cannot manage by fear in Denmark because your employees can leave. They've mm -hmm. got a cushion to fall on. And of course, because those high taxes that I'm paying also pay for university tuition for my, my kid and pay for a universal medical care. Most people have private too. So I'm not in the situation where I'll lose my medical care or my kid will lose her tuition because I changed jobs. Yeah, that's a fundamental dynamic that I often am intrigued by, that the U.S. is one of the few um, first world countries that... Um, puts the burden of medical benefits, medical coverage on the employer. So the employers, one could argue, have to sort of intrude a bit into their employees' health conditions and health decisions to some degree, uh, because they're providing them with this type of um, uh, coverage in a sense. So uh, do you find that employers are able to operate with a, a bit more of a safe distance from their employees as a result of that change in dynamic, where, uh, whereas the American employers by default have to be a bit closer to the health decisions of um, their employees. Do you see that dynamic show up? Well, I think, first of all, we have to say there aren't many health decisions in Denmark. You know, if you have a universal coverage, they'll tell you what care you're going to get and mm -hmm. when you're going to get that care and what time to be there. Uh, and if you don't have time, then someone will also get that slot. So I, I say in my book that in the U.S., it's a little bit like a you go to a diner and they say, what type of bread would you like? Do you want wheat, rye, pumpernickel, bagel? Uh, if you, The equivalent in Denmark, there's one type of bread. Here's your bread. You can come get your bread Tuesday at 3.30. 
So in this universal system, there aren't a lot of decisions. They'll tell you what you can get and when. Uh, but I do agree with you. It's not really the employer who's involved in this case because it's centrally determined. I wonder if that makes it easier for entrepreneurial types to start up a company in Denmark because they don't feel that early burden of care for th those types of employee benefits. And thus they can be competitive from the beginning because, you know, for American employers, the larger they get and the, the deeper pockets they have, they can invest more in these types of um, levels of coverage. Is that the case in Denmark, that, that it's more entrepreneurially friendly? It certainly is. It's extremely entrepreneurially friendly. And also the tax system is set up to support it. You know, the taxes are very high here, but the tax authority is very approachable. So I can call them and ask a question. The tax forms are very straightforward. I pay taxes in both the U.S. and in Denmark. And the Danish taxes are much higher, but they're so much easier to put together. The American ones are always a huge headache. Got to set a day aside, play with all those things. The Danish ones are pretty straightforward. Boy, that, well, that sounds <laughs> yes, refreshing. <laughs> yeah, I can remember one of the um, uh, presidential candidates years ago. I think it was Forbes who said, "I want everyone to send in their um, final tax uh, submission on a postcard." Does that ring a bell, Chris? I, I can't remember. Yeah, and that was sort of intriguing in theory, uh, but it would have put a lot of IRS employees out of business. Okay, let's talk about um, the leadership traps that you've identified among um, uh, leaders who are U.S.-based and in Denmark. Maybe we can start there. So U.S.-based uh, uh, leaders who expand their operations into Denmark as they grow their companies and they start to manage a Danish workforce, where do they find themselves getting in trouble uh, between those two cultures, work cultures, country cultures? They tend to micromanage. You know, in the U.S., as a manager, you have so many responsibilities. You are responsible not only for your product and your finance, uh, but also for your team in terms of, let's say, discrimination, uh, let's say legal responsibility. If my employee does something stupid, I'm going to find myself in court. So they try to put their fingers in every little decision. The Danes hate that. The Danish way of management is for your boss to say, uh, look, David, uh, this is project. Uh, this is the timeline. Uh, this is the budget. And these are the objectives. Uh, can you have that done by uh, Sunday, September 12th? And you say, well, yes, I can, or no, I can't. And then I go away till Sunday, September 12th and expect you to deliver. So if you have problems, you're supposed to come to me, say, hey, I'm having trouble, but otherwise I'm gonna be hands off. And part of, and, so, well, some ahead, of that, please. I think micromanagement that we experience here is, is a bit of fear, right? That fear of failure, fear of control, fear of information. So what's different for the Danish management style that one allow, allows them to feel that freedom of, hey, I'm going to trust you to, to get that work done. And then how do they motivate those employees to get to that September 12th? Because the motivation tools that we use in the US, right, could be pejorative or obviously could be very positive, but very different tools. What was the first half of that question? I, I got the second on motivation. I'm sorry. I forgot what the first one was. Yeah, I guess. How, how does that trust get established? Because they just let go, right? In a sense, as you, as, as you pointed out. Well, to some extent, Danish culture is built on trust. I mean, this is a small, small country. There are fewer people here than in metropolitan Houston. 
So, and people, it's a monoculture. People know each other's values, Mm -hmm. but also because people are so expensive here, salaries are very, very high and they need to be high to pay those taxes. There are very few managers. They call it the flat hierarchy. So there's few layers and there's fewer supervisors. So in the US where I might have, let's say 25 team members and maybe, I don't know, 10 managers, here for those 25 team managers, I might have two managers or three. They simply don't have the time to watch everything you're doing. It would be overwhelming. Uh, The Danes don't want it that way. They don't want somebody in their business all the time. They like a manager that steps back and there are so few managers, they simply are not able to micromanage. So that's part one. Um, Part two, how do you motivate people when you're not kind of looking over their shoulder all the time? You have to motivate them by feeling of involvement. One of the big mistakes that that American managers make is the sort of, uh, I'm the boss, so do it this way. I told you to do it, I want you to do it this way. From a Danish perspective, what you need to do if a big decision is gonna be made, will the product be red or blue? We have to decide. You call in people beforehand and you build consensus. You get every single person on the team, including the new hire who's 22 years old, to come with their experience. Well, I think Gen Z prefers red. Well, you know, we want to sell more to Gen X and they prefer blue. Everybody gets their opinions on the table first. And then the manager makes the decision and then the team will follow him or her. But if the manager comes in right away and says, we're going to do red. I love red. We're going to do red. The the Danish reports will be like, what's this? Don't you want my expertise? You paid for my expertise. Don't I have a role here? So in answer to your question, what motivates them is feeling that they have a role, that they have value, that they're producing value. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because the underlying premise of, of the values uh, and, and the intentions you're talking about exist in all of us, regardless of culture. And it's and, and how you're describing it, the way I, I see it is a lot of it is based on some of the, the insecurity that gets established from the systems that are put in place uh in our different areas for example in the u.s right so a lot of managers that system of uh of uh promotion and being rewarded and and the the risk of losing the job and not having that that safety net drives a lot of unhealthy behavior yeah i mean yeah there could also be unhealthy behavior in denmark there can be people who don't work very hard or don't Mm -hmm. are not very motivated or can be very negative yeah. So, and you know, what's very frustrating for a lot of uh, Americans is excellence can be looked down upon. Let me state that better. People are ambitious here in Denmark for their product, but not for themselves. So if you were to go and say, I want to build the best tractor in the whole world, that's really going to make farmers all over the world happy. That's cool. But to say, I want to be CEO of the tractor company. I want to make millions and millions of crowns. Uh, that's uncool. That's uncool. So ambition for the product is cool. Personal ambition. Eh. Oh, that's very well, different. <laughs> yeah, I was. That was one of the questions I was going to pose to you in our conversation. Is that um, it's it's not uncommon for American employees to want to know what's next for me. I'm in this role. I have this title. What's the next role in the next title? So I can sort of envision a future for me professionally, whether it's at this company or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a sense of status, identity, progression. Um, What's different um, from from what we see in in the U.S. work culture? Well, one big thing is there's no point in making a lot of money because the government's going to take it away. So everybody loves a raise, but if the government's going to take 60% of my raise, eh, that's not really the top thing for me. 
Instead, I might want more vacation. I want more, want more time with my family. So I think that people don't get their identity as much for, from achievement. I don't think, I think, let me restate. I think people do not get their identity from achievement in Denmark the same way they do in the US. They get their identity from their, their social connections, their time with their family, their time with their friends, their time with their volunteer football club. And this is another real problem between US employees and Danish employees is that Danes take an enormous amount of time off. At, at four o'clock, they're done working for the day. They're going home. And they're not coming back until eight in the morning. They have five weeks vacation and they're going to take it all. Uh, they have a baby, they're going to take a year or the parents can split a year. Mm-hmm. So I get a lot of Americans saying, these people are lazy. Well, they're not lazy, but they're also not afraid. So they are going to give you that eight hours of work that you pay for. And they're going to work hard. They only take a half an hour lunch every day. They'll work hard for that eight hours. Then they're going home to do something else. Yeah, that's fascinating because it's not uncommon for U.S. uh, work cultures to have this hero mentality, right? I send out the email at 2 a.m. in the morning. I'm working over the weekend in order to get this project completed, right? I'm a hero because I've invested my whole self into the job and I distinguish myself in that way. I'm making my boss proud of me and I'm setting this high standard. It sounds like that is just that's not done in Denmark. No, people would think it was odd if you did that. They would think that there was something wrong. And also, look, we have a business deal. I pay you for 37.5 hours a week to fulfill this job. Um, why are you giving me 60 hours a week? I didn't pay for that. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's it's common enough uh, through business literature and human resource literature and uh, surveys that employees tend to leave companies primarily because of leadership. I mean, there could be a myriad of reasons, but it's usually the number one factor why people uh, leave a company. People join companies, leave managers. So what would be your speculation as the top one or two reasons why people would choose not to work for a company in Denmark or Scandinavian companies of a similar nature? I think that the, the challenge is not there or their expertise is not being expanded or recognized. Mm-hmm. Danes change jobs a lot, about more than any other country in continental Europe, actually, about roughly every two, two and a half years in private mm-hmm. industry, they change jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's to find a new challenge, to do something new, simply because it's for novelty, something fun. Mm-hmm. Again, when you remove that fear factor, uh, people have a little bit more flexibility. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly what's happening in the U.S. in terms of the uh, incoming workforce, right? The millennial and the Z generation types. I mean, if you were to say, you know, back in the day, you'd say, hey, I work at IBM. I'm part of their management um, training program. I'm going to be there for 30 years. I'm really looking forward to it. You know, that'd sound like a jail sentence to the incoming workforce here now. I gather that's a similar uh, perspective for the Danish workforce, but has been for some time. Has been in particular because you take your pension with you. Your pension is private. Uh, so there's no you know, problem if you switch from one to another. And as we mentioned, your medical care is separate from your job. And so yeah. are your kids' tuition and that sort of thing. So there's no real reason to be locked into a job you don't like. Yeah. So we've clearly established that people aren't necessarily motivated by the quality of leadership they receive or the title they get, because title in the U.S. for startups, I've worked with a lot of startups, 
uh, title is almost a form of currency. Uh, we can't afford to pay you now in terms of cash. We'll give you some stock options and, hey, we'll give you a title. I mean, they may not be that explicit, but they get pretty close to it. So we'll call you a director or a VP. I gather, uh, as we established earlier, title is not a form of currency in um, in Denmark. In fact, it's it's diminished. It's it's flattened, as you noted earlier. Danes don't use titles. It's considered pompous. So if I'm CEO of Nova Nordisk, a huge international corporation, when I meet you, if I said, hi, I'm Lars, I'm CEO, people are like, who do you think you are? You are. Who do you think you are? <laughs> that would be pompous. There, there's a uh, uh, something called the, the law of Yenta here. It's not a real law. It's kind of something that was in a book. So it's sort of a legendary type thing. But the law of Yenta says, don't act like you're any better than anybody else. And it's kind of a forced equality, kind of a, a tall poppy syndrome. On one hand, you might think, well, equality is good. We like equality. But if you're smart, they're going to push you down. I find some of the smartest Danes that I know now work in the U.S. because Denmark kept trying to push them down. They're like, no, I want to work more hours. I want to build more. I don't want to be the guy that goes home at four. There's not a lot of room for that here. Yeah, I wondered about that because I think sometimes that the internal competition is a bit healthy. Uh, if, if I know we're, t- we're kind of probably putting a little bit of a pejorative spin on it, but I think also sometimes it can be good, right? When you, you want to strive for that, when that title is a currency, um, that, that can be a good motivator, right? For some folks who have that extrinsic motivation to get there, they're going to achieve more when it, when it exists. It's just how it's, how it's managed, of course. Even the Danish language flattens down references to elites and people who are better. Uh, if, for example, you're a very talented uh, kid in school, there's no such thing as a gifted program or an advanced program. They don't do that. Your job is to help the other children who are struggling. So the idea that you could be better than somebody else is really not so cool in Denmark. Mm. It's changing a little bit because of social media and kids are exposed to stuff from all over the world. But even even so, that's um, the Danes love sarcasm. The Danes love sarcasm and they love to point a dart at somebody whose balloon is too puffed up. Mm. So when you meet someone at a party in the U.S., one of the first questions that you just naturally ask is, so what do you do, Kay? Uh, I gather that's not one of the early questions, uh, or it's not even framed that way in Denmark. Fair to say? Yeah, I would say that that's true. I would probably ask, how do you know the host? Or mm. something totally random, like, uh, I don't know, it's been a wonderful day, were you out cycling? Or it's been a wonderful day, were you out cycling today, for example? That would be, uh, it's a little too transactional to ask exactly what you do. Um, and if somebody does ask that, you're supposed to do it softly. You say, oh, uh, I'm with Nova Nordisk. Oh, you know, I work for the uh, the municipality. Yeah. To, to start going on all, you know, the Americans will do the elevator speech. Well, I'm the top salesman, uh, yeah. widgets in the Austin area. I mean, people would think you're an idiot if you do that. They really will. I've met Boy, that guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, my gosh, it's, I can... Uh, go up and down my street and ask, you know, these questions and people, it's an identification, right? Mm -hmm. I work for this company. I do these things. This is my title. I mean, it is a sense of um, uh, proud identity that, that people carry with them in their adult lives. But I get a sense that identity is reshaped and rethought in the broader Denmark experience of adult life. I actually think it's the other way around. It's an old identity. 
I mean, you got to remember, Danes are the indigenous people here. This is a country that's still 90% Danish ethnic. And even the people who are not in that 90%, who are in the 10 non-Danish non ethnic, and many of them are fellow Europeans, they've been through the same school system. They watch the same TV shows. So it's like a big family. So you don't have to constantly reestablish yourself in a big family. I read a great uh, review saying that, uh, or I read some great research saying that people smile more in more diverse countries because you have to constantly reestablish trust all the time. Who are you? I don't know you. That smile. I'm not dangerous. But in a country that is not diverse like this one, a lot is assumed and you don't have to keep regenerating that trust. You simply know the other people. Of course, that means it's very conformist. Whimsy is not appreciated. Weirdness is not appreciated. And it's very difficult for internationals to integrate here, even internationals that look Danish like I do. So um, let me play uh, for you a bit of a moral dilemma. We like to introduce moral dilemmas into the uh, leadership trap. Um, you're a consultant um, helping uh, firms cross these cultural boundaries. You want to help uh, American companies be successful in Denmark so they can achieve at a high level through their uh, Danish workforce. So what if a U.S. CEO said to you, okay, we're going to pay you really well because I hear you're an expert. What I want you to do is instill our U.S. values and sensibilities into these Danish employees so that uh, they will operate according to our company culture and our U.S. culture and sensibilities, uh, because I'm not seeing that in them right now, and it's it's pissing me off. So, um, I mean, this is a great um, client for you, Kay. It's that they've got deep pockets. They're really they, taking care of you. They must assimilate. <laughs> yeah. So how, how, in fact, how would you respond to that if that was the direction given to you? Oh, Change the culture. Well, I would be honest with the manager, and I would say that there are some things that Danes find attractive about American culture, the energy, the positivity, the, the big market, the opportunity. I mean, this is a small country. There is a limit to how much you can do. So I would tell that manager to emphasize those things. But there are other things that are simply not going to sell. Americans, uh, managers sometimes come over with this cheerleading mentality. You know, they want to get all the Danish employees in a room and say, we can do it. We can do it. We'll be number one. Mm. And the, the Danes just roll their eyes. Mm. I mean, what do you mean by number one? Does that customer satisfaction number one? What will it mean to our work satisfaction? What will it mean for our product? So there are some things that will sell and other things that simply won't sell no matter how many, no matter how many times you try. Fair enough. Now, let's explore some other distinctions, if there are distinctions, between the, uh, the the U.S. work culture and the Danish work culture. When it comes to an appreciation for um, differences in every way, whether it's uh, gender, ethnicity, culture, and the like, well, we've had some real breakthrough moments over the past year plus in the U.S., uh, with, with more of a focus on equity uh, and diversity. And companies seem to be making, in many cases, authentic strides towards uh, addressing th those differences. Um, what are you seeing in the, um, the work cultures in, in Denmark along these lines? 
Well, I can say, for example, there are a lot more female managers in the U.S. than there are in Denmark. The most recent statistics I've seen, roughly 40% of managers at various levels in the U.S. are women. In Denmark, it's about 26%. Why is that? Uh, a couple of reasons. Uh, some women, and I'm one of them, choose to step off the career track to focus on doing their own thing, having their own small business, or spending more time with family. Uh, another thing is that parental leave is so generous here uh, that if I'm hiring a, a, a woman and she's maybe you know interested in parenthood, uh, maybe she has three kids. That's three years off work. She's going to disappear. That's maybe great for society, maybe great for parenting, maybe great for kids. For my company, in a macro sense, it's good. In a micro sense, I need someone to fill that chair. So I would say that some of the efforts to uh, support family life have had a effect of having fewer women in management structures here. It's very interesting because we've had two female prime ministers, one of whom I think is pretty good, the other one who is absolutely awful in my opinion. Uh, and there's a lot of women um, in the their version of Congress. I would say it's about 40% female. So in that sense, in the state side, also in the state sector, there's a lot of female bosses. In the prime in the in the private sector, there's very few female bosses. And that distinction is, uh, if it's so integrated into the cultural norms, why do businesses seem more hesitant? Uh, uh, other than this perception of women possibly not being available because they commit themselves more to family. Uh, is that really just sort of a practical um, reaction, do you think? Is, uh, well, she's, she just may not be here when we need her for the critical project. Is it as simple as that? Yeah, I don't know that it's only on the side of the business. I think it's also on the side of the women. I have a uh, acquaintance who's a French manager here. He really wanted to diversify. He was trying to hire more female managers in his mm -hmm. business sector, which is you know, which is not particularly female friendly. It's heavy industry, but he really wanted some more uh, female managers. He simply could not find women that wanted to take the job. They had other priorities. They wanted to spend time with their families. They wanted to start their own small businesses. They wanted to go home at four every day. And, you know, when you're a manager, maybe you don't have that flexibility. You know, in the U.S., people do try to move up, as you mentioned. They want a title. They want to be higher and higher up. In Denmark, many people don't want to do that because it's going to be more time, more stress, and their government's going to take all your money. So what's the point of making a lot more money? You're not going to get mm -hmm. to keep most of it. In my book, I talk about something called the BMW syndrome which mostly applies to uh, startup companies, that when they reach the point that the leader, the owner can buy a BMW, they stop growing. Because why bother? You know, you've reached the limits of luxury in Denmark. But it sounds like there's much more of a mindset of a balanced life <laughs> you know, versus <laughs> what we see in the US, right? And that drive, it's just, a, a, we sacrifice so much because of that career advancement. It, it, indeed, indeed. So, you know, you, I often tell people that Denmark is more like a band. You know, the people stay in the middle of that band. You don't fall so low, uh, but you don't rise so high either. There's no Bill Gates. There's no Elon Musk. There's no Jeff Bezos here. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's also not homeless camps on the street. Uh, so if you're one of those people, if you are a Danish version of De Jeff Bezos, if you're an ambitious young man or woman, you probably want to go someplace else to mm -hmm. London, to Singapore, to San Francisco, to Austin. But if you want to have a nice family life and have nice weekends, this is a great place to live. How's the pandemic impacting work? 
uh, out here, of course, there's uh, much more of an emphasis on remote work. It's allowing people to sort of flexibly decide where they want to live in order to do the work. Uh, companies are having to uh, rethink what work cultures look like because we don't have a community of people showing up in a single place. And, and that has implications to how we shape a culture physically and otherwise. If you have this cool location where we have beer Fridays and other ways in which people socially come together. That's a bit awkward. We've quickly come to realize online it doesn't translate very well. So how, what are you seeing in uh, Denmark and in other regions uh, in terms of the reaction to um, the pandemic and, and the need for remote work? Well, we're recording this on uh, September 4th. And I can say that in six days, Denmark will remove all the restrictions having to do with the pandemic. No masks, no testing, nothing. Uh, nobody is forced to stay home. You can go to nightclubs, you can do whatever you want. Um, I believe the vaccination rate for over 18s is about 80%, uh, but there's no stress to get vaccinated. You know, they present it to you, it's free of course, uh, but you don't have this sort of culture clash where if you're not vaccinated, you're the bad guy. If you are vaccinated, you're the good guy. Denmark is funny like that because it can be very left-wing in terms of the social support, but very right-wing and like, hey, I got my freedom. I'm going to do what I want. So I think we've had a little bit of what you described in terms of people staying home and now coming back into the office. Uh, but there's not a lot of fear here and finger pointing. Yeah, that's... Um... I wonder why that is. I mean, was that just the way politically you've reached this point in which there just wasn't as much of the polarization that contributed to uh, reacting to uh, everything you just mentioned, the need for vaccination and uh, scientific um, health science reference points and, and the like, uh, or is there something more there? I can think of two reasons. One is there are numerous political parties. I think there are 12 different political parties in the uh, Congress right now. So there's lots of different options for you. You don't have to be red or blue. You can take a little of this and a little of that. And a lot of people switch parties with every election. Oh, I like these guys this time. Oh, this woman I'm going with next time. Uh, so the system is a little bit more flexible. Um, and also the media is not so profit-based. So there's not much money in making people afraid and angry at each other. Well, before we lose the time that we have with you, we want to make sure that uh, we know um, our listeners know where they can find you. So tell us a bit about uh, what uh, people should know in terms of books that you have in the marketplace, the podcast I alluded to earlier, and its incredible music and its association with <laughs> the, uh, the country uh, how do you refer to it? National the, Anthem. National Anthem. Okay. How, how should people find their way to UK? Well, they can go to kxmgroup.dk, which is my personal site. Don't go to kxmgroup.com because that's a heavy metal band. It's kxmgroup.dk. Okay. <laughs> they could have some useful music for if they could. They, they could. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about living in Denmark, you can go to howtolivendenmark.com. That's my blog, and the podcast is called the How to Live in Denmark podcast. Um, I also have written several books. My most, re my most recent one is Working with Danes Tips for Americans. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's in print version now. You can get it on Amazon. I'm just about to drop the audiobook version. So if you're listening to this in late September, probably the audiobook version is available on Audible and other sources as well. And I work as a consultant. So if you have a company that's interested in doing business in Denmark, interested in working better with your Danish colleagues, I can help you do that. Super. Yeah, I think this is so well-timed because uh, businesses and uh, workers in general, leaders in general, are more inclined to think beyond the physical location of where work gets done. And they've expanded the boundaries uh, across cities, states, countries, uh, which uh, you would think would be beneficial for a number of reasons. So this is uh, very helpful to get your perspective on the realities of you just don't simply set up shop without consideration for the social norms and other conditions that come into the workplace. And when people do that, they often have very, very bad experiences. I'm working, for example, with a life science company right now based out of California. They've lost a lot of people because the Danes and the Americans simply can't get along. Mm. One of the main reasons they can do that is we Americans, we like positivity. We're the country that invented cheerleading. Oh, it's so great to see you. I really enjoy this. The Danes prefer authenticity. So they'll tell you directly, I don't like this. This is no good. Flips out many Americans like, wow, he's so rude. No, he's trying to be direct. He's trying to save your time. And he's telling you the truth. Yeah. Yeah, the best experience I had was working overseas early, early in my career. Boy, was that that eye-opening, making a lot of mistakes yep, and, and exactly what you talked about. And in point of fact, Chris can uh, appreciate this. When we do our leadership development uh, coaching and training, we emphasize authenticity. I mean, this is where you get to your better ideas, okay? Right? Because people say, you know, I've got this wild ass crazy idea. I'm going to throw it out here because uh, there's an environment that supports this, that advocates for it. And this is how uh, companies distinguish themselves is because those wild ass ideas shape themselves to something distinctive about that particular company and its offerings. So I like the notion of authenticity quite a bit, as a matter of fact. I'll take that. And I find that sometimes when Americans work with Danes, they try to use the the hamburger method when they're delivering critiques. You know, someone will come to you with a proposal, you'll be like, thanks for coming to me with this proposal. I don't think we have the budget for it. But, you know, always come to me with your ideas. Got the hamburger, right? (laughs) It, It totally confuses the Danes. Like, what is the message? Is it come to me with your ideas? Is, is it that you don't like the proposal? Is It, it totally throws them off. Mm-hmm. So and meanwhile, the Danish guy will be like, this is a terrible proposal. We don't have budget for it. Sorry. And the American will be like, well, he's a jerk. Yeah. So it's yeah. just yeah. a misunderstanding. So Different approach. I'm with you. Yeah, it's, it's a cheesy, no pun intended, approach to mm-hmm. leadership that some, uh, I would suggest, naive leader trainers uh, offer in their early training of managers, you know, give them the compliment sandwich, right? Compliment them first and say, you know, you, you're doing great work today. I so appreciate you. Hey, by the way, you need to change the following. You know, again, I think I have such high regard and appreciation for you. Um, that sounds so disingenuous to any reasonable, savvy person. So you're saying that the Danes are, are just hardwired to see right through that condition, right? They they are and they are rare. They are and they very rarely give positive feedback. And this is another point of friction between Danish employees and American employees. The, the Danish way is as long as you're doing your job, why should I be giving you compliments? 
But how it often turns out is the Americans feel you only call us when you're mad. Yeah. I, I can see the Danish telephone code. I'm like, oh, no, he's angry because mm-hmm. he never calls me if something's good. Mm, great mm-hmm. distinction. Only yeah. the hamburger. Yeah, only the hamburger. Or as uh, some uh, cynical employees would say, yeah, I got another one of the shit sandwiches from my um, <laughs> boss. That's they right. see right through it. All right, Kay, thanks for spending some time with us today. Great insights, very timely as we're thinking beyond boundaries here on how work gets done. Denmark's a great place and the Danes are wonderful people to work with. It sounds like it. Yeah, I'm convinced. I am too. I'm headed (laughs) out there. I've got a, yeah, I've got a couple of clients in, uh, in Copenhagen. So I have good reason. Yeah. yeah, To, to head out there soon. So thanks. I'll be reaching out to you to make sure I don't, um, trip over myself. <laughs> Thanks, Kay. Real pleasure. Cheers. You bye. too. See you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Do you know a leader who could benefit from hearing about the leadership trap? Well, we hope you will share this podcast with them. And remember, give the podcast a five-star rating. Every rating helps us reach more leaders. You can find us at theleadershiptrap.org. Okay. We'll see you next time. And until then, stay out of those traps. <laughs>